and good day, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Jay, and this is the inaugural episode of the Fresh Frozen Southerner podcast, the short introductory episode I recorded notwithstanding. If you did listen to that intro episode, thank you very much, and welcome back. And if this is your first episode, welcome, and I hope you enjoy. Uh, If you did listen to the intro episode, you'll know that mostly I spoke about my family moving from Virginia to Pennsylvania. And on that vein, I do want to speak about something. I am recording this a couple of days before February 2nd, so I do not know if the groundhog claimed to see his shadow or not. As a longtime resident of Pennsylvania now, I want you to know he did not see his shadow. The sun does not come out in Pennsylvania in the winter. Again, not hyperbole, that's simply a fact. And if that little furry bastard claimed to see his shadow, he is lying to you. Don't believe it. Fake news. All right. And I noticed something very interesting when my family was planning to move to Pennsylvania. We had about three weeks from the time that my wife accepted the job offer until we actually had to move and she started the job. And we lived in a very small town, so just out and about running errands, doing stuff with the kids at school, we'd run into friends we knew and everyone's reaction to us moving struck me as a little odd everybody was shocked that we were moving so far away from home now in my head i'm thinking we're moving to pennsylvania we're not moving to the outer mongolian slopes it's a it's a drive i'm going to grant that it's eight hours But I can drive back home to the family in a day. Again, it's a long drive, but it's doable. And we do it all the time. We do it at least every other month. A lot of times we do it once a month. Plus, it's it's not 1,500. There's email. There's FaceTime phone calls. There's Skype. There's Zoom meetings. We can talk and see the family whenever we want. Um, We're in contact with somebody in my family several times a week. It's it's not like we moved off planet, but everybody was just shocked. As in, no, I could never move that far away. Never. Not, no, that's, that's too far. And again, it's 500 miles, but it's 500 interstate miles. The drive is nothing. It's boring and it's annoying. And we spend a lot in gas money, but it's It's not an insurmountable obstacle to come home and see the family. But everybody I talked to acted like we were just doing something unthinkable. And I really got to thinking about that. And I did a little digging, and I found a couple of different figures. So I'm just taking kind of the the average of the ones that, the studies that I found. But basically, 72% of Americans live their entire lives in the area that they were born. And in this day and age, that blows me away. Three quarters of the people in this country are born, live their entire lives, and die. And again, there was some discrepancy on what they were considering the area. Um, I'm just, again, kind of spitballing and saying 100 miles. I mean, By the time I was 20 years old, I had lived more than 100 miles from my hometown. Granted, the area that I lived in, very small, very rural, not a lot of jobs. Maybe that isn't affecting the way I think about it because, 
especially now, it, you can't live in that area and expect to do anything meaningful with your life career-wise. But this country is populated by immigrants. Everybody's family moved here from somewhere else at some point. And even going back to the Native Americans, they came from Asia. So everybody at one time moved here from a long way away. And when I was a child, you know, the, we learned about the melting pot a lot in grade school. And that was always one of the strengths of this country, that we had all these different people from different backgrounds, different cultures, and it was always touted as one of the things that made this country so great. And I do agree that the different cultures and the different perspectives is a strength for the society, but I think it goes a little bit deeper than that. From my own experience of people in modern day being so reluctant to leave what they've all what they've known their whole life, I want you to think about somebody in the late 1700s in Ireland, Europe, China, wherever they're deciding to come from. Think about the type of personality that would want to pick up their entire life and move their family across oceans. And bear in mind, at this time, there was a pretty good chance that you weren't going to make it across that ocean. And it was a very real possibility that you and your family would die just trying to get here. And then the fact that I think an average sea voyage back then was a couple of months, and that was in good conditions. And then when you arrive here, you have no money, nowhere to live, no friends, no family, no way to contact anyone. I mean, of course, you could send letters and stuff, but, I mean, again, that's two months to get there, two months to get back, and that's if they sit down and write the response immediately. Think of the motivation that that individual would have. And I don't mean their motivations for moving. I just mean in general, in life, the motivation they have, this needs to be done, I'm going to do it. Even though it is an incredibly daunting task what they're considering doing. And I think that is why the melting pot made such a difference in this country. You didn't have people that were showing up and saying, all right, I'm going to kick back for a while and then we'll see. No, these people had purpose in their lives. They were coming to make a new life. And they were coming to make a new life from nothing. And of course, there were people that came over as part of business ventures that had money, but the vast majority of immigrants were fleeing poverty and oppression. And the thing about that situation is you can flee the oppression, you're bringing the poverty with you. So these people showed up with absolutely nothing, and it was all on them to make their life. But that's why they were coming to America. You hear the term all the time, upward mobile. That's something that a lot of countries don't have. I mean, even modern-day England, it's a capitalist democratic society, but there's still also strong undertones of the class. Uh, if you watch any British TV, you'll, you'll hear the phrase, know your place. Well, that's referring to your 
place in the class structure. Uh, Blue-collar middle-class workers are blue-collar middle-class workers, and they're not supposed to pretend to be the aristocracy, and there's really no way for them to join that. It's, it's a little different now than it was, but that used to be set in stone, and it was like that in most of the countries that these people were coming from. If you were born the son of a baker, you were going to be a baker, and it was not up for discussion or what do you want to do that's simply the only opportunity you had if your family were weavers you were a weaver if you were a cobbler you were going to be a cobbler so a lot of these people came because they had the opportunity to make their way in life whether they succeeded or whether they failed was up to them it was not up to the government or the social structure where they live it was all on them. And a lot of the names that you hear from history that you learned in school, a lot of these people were first-generation immigrants. And they, again, started with nothing. And 200 years later, school children are still expected to know who they were. You have historical figures like Joseph Pulitzer, who was born in Hungary and immigrated here in 1864. Uh, Joseph Pulitzer... Obviously, we all know him from uh, publishing newspapers. He immigrated here for an interesting reason. It's something that, that if I had ever known this going through school, I've forgotten it. Uh, during the Civil War, if you were expected to join the Army, but you had enough money to pay for somebody to go in your place, you could actually hire someone to enlist in the Army for you. And Joseph Pulitzer was brought over and paid to join the Union Army. Uh, he served in a cavalry unit and was involved in some combat during the war. Um, obviously, he was only in for about a year because uh, the war ended in 1865, but that is why Joseph Pulitzer moved here. Uh, now, if somebody's paying you to join the Army and face combat for them, obviously you're not coming from a wealthy background, unless you're nuts. <clears throat> uh, the famous... Composer and songwriter Irving Berlin, uh, his family actually fled from Russia in 1893 to escape from an anti-Jewish pogrom. Um, and if you are not familiar with the term pogrom, it's basically a violent riot that's directed at a certain group of people. Uh, unfortunately, the Jews throughout history have been the targets of several of those. Uh, uh, the famous steel mill and railroad man, Andrew Carnegie, immigrated here in 1848 from Scotland. And there's a man named Ettore Boriardi. Uh, you may not recognize that name. I guarantee you've seen his face. Uh, Ettore Boriardi immigrated here in 1914 from Italy. He had a brother that was living in New York City and worked as a waiter in a hotel. Uh, Mr. Boyardi moved here because his brother was able to get him a job at that hotel. Uh, he worked his way up through the kitchen staff, and we all know him as Chef Boyardi. Uh, it's actually a real person that created that company. Uh, he actually worked as an executive chef at the Greenbrier Resort, which is close to where I grew up. I did not know that. That was a pretty interesting little tidbit. And it's not just yeah, you know, this work ethic and drive to better yourself got passed down to the children. Uh, there's some 
some other very famous people that were first or second generation immigrants. Uh, John D. Rockefeller's father, uh, the richest man in the world for a long time. Uh, his father was a traveling salesman. And if that sounds a little fishy to you, uh, he was a snake oil salesman, essentially. Um, he sold patent cures, uh, which is basically, I'm just going to dump whatever crap I can into a bottle. I'm going to tell people it's a miracle cure. And hey, if it poisons them and they die, I'll be two towns over by the time that happens. So who cares? Uh, Milton Hershey, the founder of the Hershey Candy Company, uh, his father and mother were farmers. They owned a small dairy farm. And Cornelius Vanderbilt, one of the oldest wealthy families in this country, uh, his father operated a ferry between Manhattan and Staten Island. And I know you're thinking, well, you know, hey, he was a business owner. Yeah, in the late 1700s, being a ferry operator meant you owned a boat. Uh, there was not much. There was not much to running a business back then. You just needed the tools to do it. You know, a lot of the people I'm talking about, they're from the 1800s, early 1900s. I'm sure a lot of people are saying right now, you know, well, that was 200 years ago. Things are different. Um, you don't have the opportunities that you that you had back then. It's just simply not able. You're just simply not able to get ahead in life like you were back then. And and it's just bullshit. Um I guess I should announce a trigger warning for the rest of this segment. Um, this is an unpopular opinion in, in our modern society, but I'm proud of this country, and I'm proud to be in this country. And I can tell you from personal experience that if you will keep your head down and keep your focus, that you can get ahead in life. I have made every mistake that a person can make and not be in prison. And me and my family, although it was a struggle for a while, we have built a pretty comfortable life. And I'm not finished. I plan to keep going. Uh, this is not the final destination for me. I want to do better. And I want to have more success. And I know my wife feels the same. And I certainly hope I'm instilling that in my two children. But capitalism and this country give you the best opportunity to make a life for yourself. And I know that that is a very outdated way to look at life, uh, but it's also still a truth. One of the local universities here has a scholarship program that the students are only eligible for this particular scholarship if they are the first member of their family to ever attend college. Uh, the company that my wife works for is a big supporter of this program, and we have gotten to attend their annual fundraising dinner several times. Obviously, we didn't get to go this year. Uh, but part of the program is they will have three or four of the seniors that are graduating from this program come and give a short speech about their childhood life and how much the program has given them the opportunity to attend higher education. Now, the vast majority of these kids, their parents immigrated to this country. Uh, the children were first-generation, natural-born Americans, and their parents were coming from abject poverty. But now these kids are here, they're attending college, and they're going to have 
really great futures. And the very first one of these that me and my wife attended is I'm sitting there listening to these kids give their speeches. It occurred to me that I was looking at the American dream. Now, popular culture, movies, TV, the nightly news, politicians, for my whole life, they've been trying to spin it that the American dream is owning a home, the white picket fence, second car in the driveway, flat screen TV. The American dream is not the accumulation of possessions. The American dream is that where you start from does not matter, that you are in control of where you end up, that through the sweat of your brow and the ache in your back, you can lift yourself up above the station of your birth. And that's what these kids are doing. And keep in mind, to get this scholarship, they have to be the first person in their family to go to college. So their parents were not immigrating here as lawyers and doctors and architects. They're most likely laborers, not making much money. Uh, Probably 90% of the kids that I've seen give those speeches were Latino, So they're a minority, and despite this fact, these people's children are going to have a better life than their parents ever dreamed of in whatever country they came here from. That is the American dream, and it is alive and well. All right, guys, that's about all I've got for you today. I appreciate you sitting in with me. I certainly hope you enjoyed my little story there. Uh, if anybody from Punxsutawney happens to be listening, I mean no disrespect. Um, actually, that's on the list of the things that I would very much like to do while we're here is to get over to Gobbler's Knob and see the Groundhog Day festivities, be a chance to experience a genuine piece of Americana. And as I said, I'm a very short three-hour drive away. Uh, but again, thank you for listening. I hope you guys have a good day and tune back in for more episodes. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Oh, also, I've uh, got a website that's going to be launching here very shortly. Uh, Once it's up and running, I certainly hope you'll take a moment and check it out. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. 